If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at cottageblogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Welcome once again to another episode of Vacation Rental Success. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and this is my last recording from inside my RV. And we are currently in the uh, Gulf Shores State Park uh, campground, which is somewhere we come to every year at the end of our road trip. It's, it's an amazing, amazing place. Just uh, a short walk from from the beach uh, overlooking the Gulf. I went down there this morning and did a about an hour's walk along a virtually deserted beach. It was just fabulous. I could see dolphins out in the sea. There was there was so much bird life. Walking through, just you know, just as as the water comes flowing in, it was hard to describe. Actually, hard to describe how wonderful that is first thing in the morning. And I've been sort of running, walking, cycling a bit, and uh, in general, just enjoying the last the last couple of weeks of vacation. So we're taking an, um, four days now to head home. And sometimes we'll do it in two, three days of driving, two night stops. This time we're doing it in four days of driving and three night stop. I hate to say that we're hot-footing it out of the US before your election, guys, but... Uh, we actually think it might be quite nice to be the other side of the border uh, for the uh, for for the eighth of November, which is where I'm going to be. You know, in all seriousness, it's going to be lovely to get back home and to get back on with a ton of stuff that I haven't been able to do while I've been down here because Wi-Fi on campgrounds is pretty horrendous. It's uh, it's a common complaint with uh, with RVers that we get onto a campground that advertises Wi-Fi and then find that you're very, very lucky to pick up any form of signal. And, and certainly it's, it's almost impossible to do any work. And I've been trying to uh, do a couple of new action plans for the vacation rental formula. And although I've been able to get everything down in, in Word, actually spending time on the Vacation Rental Formula website to get everything uploaded and to and to do my videos. I need to get half a dozen videos up there as well. So I've just got to wait till I get home and be patient. And I know that, uh, that there's a lot of Vacation Rental Formula Club members who are waiting for some new action plans to be published. And just to let you know, that's going to happen very soon. As soon as I get back and I can get my videos uploaded and and create these uh, these new uh, workbooks for you as well. So be patient just for another couple of weeks. I'll have them all uploaded and they're all going to go up together. So instead of, you know, one a month, you're just going to get two or three at the same time. So one of the ones that I have been working on that's uh, taken a lot of time and I've really, really enjoyed it. Is uh, it's called in the it's called the building your business blueprint, and it really goes back to the basics for owners who are just starting out, and in fact, not necessarily those just for those who are just starting out. 
It's also for those who have, who have perhaps been in the business a while and are now starting up a new vacation rental and have to go back to the, uh, go back to the drawing board again, really, to get it all set up. I know that from, from my experience of, what is it, six, seven vacation rentals I've had, that each time I started again, it was, it was just going back to the beginning. It's like, um, you know, it's, it, it's like when you've had, when, when you have children and, and I remember when Mike was born, I had a five-year-old and going back to the babyhood thing again was really, really tough. I'd forgotten just about everything I knew about, about new babies and, what I had to do and, and, you know, buying or setting up a new vacation rental home is, is similar. I'm not saying it's exactly the same and I'm not sure that's the best analogy I could have used, but it's, it's the one that just came to mind. Um, but anyway, so this, this, um, uh, action plan is, is going to be useful all round for, for anyone who, who's, who's starting up from scratch or starting up again. And one of the things that um, I've been looking at is the amount of questions that I see getting asked on forums, uh, on Facebook groups, and and the questions that I get, which are, are really very basic questions. But when you look at them, you think, "Gosh, yeah, that that is that's a really good question." And Sometimes these are the questions that we all have in the backs of our minds, but perhaps we, we don't want to say, you know, I'm, well, I'm not sure that I'm doing this right. Perhaps I should put it out to public scrutiny and, and say, I don't really know what the answer to it is. My answers are not necessarily the right ones and you may not agree. However, so in no particular order, here are the 20 questions. And as, and as I say, these are all ones that I have picked out from emails that I've had or from forums or from Facebook groups or other areas where people are asking questions. They're, so they're all pretty genuine. I'm pretty genuine. They're all genuine. And, and they've been out there relatively recently. And I'm just going to kick off with, with one that I actually get from owners when I'm going out to interview them for our property management company. And that number one question is, what are the rent, what are the expectations of rental guests today? And that's an interesting one because often the people that are asking these questions in, in Ontario are those that have experienced cottage rental over the last couple of decades. They're people who've, who've been there, done that as guests. Now they've got their own properties and, and they're looking back into their experience of what it was like to be a guest 15 or 20 years ago and, and wondering if today's guests are expecting the same. My answer is always the same, that every single year expectations rise. And we have to continue to meet those expectations in order to, to be competitive. You can't do it any other way. You can't look back, say, well, that's, that's what I liked when I last went to a vacation rental five years ago. Therefore, that's what I'm going to deliver to my guests. It's really important to, to understand the demographic of your rental guests and, and look at what they're expecting now and i and I, my answer is is normally the same the expectation the number one expectation of the rental guests that come to our properties is cleanliness 
the properties have to be pristinely clean. There is no half measure. There is no three-quarter measure. There is no 90%. It has to be 100% spotless inside and out. We've had complaints from people who who have mentioned cobwebs on the outside of a building. There were, there were too many spider webs. So today's rental guests see everything. They miss nothing. They have extremely high expectations. And, and that's it. What are the expectations of rental guests today? High. They expect, in general, in general, they expect a lot of value for their money. They want the place to be clean. They want all the amenities to be as described and they don't want any surprises. Number two, how many rolls of toilet paper do I leave? That was a question recently on Evelyn Badia's hosting journey. And and if you're not a member of that Facebook group, I really suggest that you uh, you get on over to uh, to the hosting journey and join because it's that there's a lot of people on there, a lot of people who are doing whole home um, rentals as well as though as well as those who are sharing their homes on Airbnb, and it's always great to see the different perspectives. So, so that question, how many rolls of toilet paper do I leave, really expands into what general supplies do I leave? And of course, once again, this, this comes down to personal preference, um, your location, what do your competitors do? You should be trying to surpass whatever your competitors are doing at all times. From my perspective, I don't care if my guests take away the odd toilet roll or not. I, I build these things into my rental rate. So I I leave as many toilet rolls as, as they may want to use. There's always a huge pack of toilet rolls um, tucked away in my supplies cupboard, which my guests have access to. So they can they can get themselves out a new kitchen uh, kitchen paper roll if they need it. They can get themselves more ki- more toilet roll if they need it. There are unlimited supplies of coffee papers. There is unlimited supplies of um, dishwashing liquid and dishwasher tablets. People don't tend to take them away. If, if that's what happens in your region, maybe you do want to limit it. And I think that's the key. As long as your guests know what to expect, then you can do your own thing. I have a number of owners who just supply a get you in pack with a couple of toilet rolls in each bathroom, one kit, one roll of kitchen paper and um, half a dozen dishwasher tabs. But they very clearly say, not only in their welcome book, but in the information they send to their guests prior to arriving, that if you run out of these items, then you can buy them locally. You can replace them locally. So up to you what you do, but just make sure your guests know what they should expect uh, in terms of the supplies that are going to be there and what they might have to bring or buy. Number three, should I greet my guests personally when they arrive at my property or should I have somebody greet them in my place? And and I know in some places this uh, this has to happen. Um, Derek Eaton talks about this his, uh, in, in his area, which is in Seattle. Um, he rents a number of, of condos where 
um, it is it's it's the law that they have to, that that guests have to be personally met um, on arrival. But if if there is no such legislation and it's it's up to you, well then it's entirely up to you. But one thing I would strongly recommend is that if you do do a personal meet and greet, you make it short. I remember years ago going to a property, in fact, in Ontario, when we were still living in England, and we'd we'd flown the, it was the eight-hour flight, um, a two-and-a-half-hour drive, and that was after picking up the, the rental car, and there were nine of us. And we arrived at this property, beautiful property. It was a big six-bedroom place with an indoor swimming pool, and it was fantastic. And we arrived at around nine o'clock in the evening. The owner was still showing us through it at 10.30. It was over an hour and a half as he showed us every bedroom. He went through every kitchen cupboard. We were so tired and we just wanted to, we just wanted to find our own rooms, unpack the vehicles and, and start our vacation. And he was just so full of, of wanting to... To, to show us all the best bits of the property and and to point out all the post-it notes everywhere, everywhere that had little instructions on them and and the rules of the house. It was a really poor start to to that vacation and and it's something I've never forgotten. Now in other places we've stayed, um, we've 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 actually had a phone call from the owner shortly after we've arrived. Basically, it was to say, do you have any questions? And I'll be coming up tomorrow or my property manager will come up tomorrow and, and go through a couple of things with you. And that was, that was absolutely fine. I was happy with that. But to have a personal meet and greet that goes on for an hour and a half, that is, that is really beyond what would I, I would ex- expect as a guest. And I'm sure there is no, none of you out there that do that. But just you know, coming back to that question, should I meet and greet my guests? There are a lot of people who don't want that. They've booked their vacation. Um, they've seen the pictures. They just want to walk in, unpack, relax, get their first drink and feel like they're on holiday rather than having to be on the best behavior while they're being shown around. I mean, definitely come up and do it the following day, but try not to do it on that first day. Number four, and I said I'm not doing this in any particular order, so um, this this one might come as sort of a bit out of the blue, but it, the question is, should I use Corel in the kitchen instead of ordinary stoneware or other china um whatever whatever you use for your plates and dishes my recommendation my suggestion is an absolute resounding no please don't use corel in your kitchen one of the reasons is is that corning used to own corel until about 10 years ago and they sold it from all the feedback that that you see online on consumer websites and uh, and in other reports the manufacture of Corel is nowhere near, is, is not what it used to be. You know, I, I remember from camping trips, we used to have, um, we used to have um, Corningware or Corel. And it, it was, I mean, it's always advertised as unbreakable. But I never remember experiencing what I've experienced with Corel recently. And, and that is the shattering of it. And if you've ever dropped a Corel dish 
you will know that it breaks into a million tiny, tiny shards and it spreads just everywhere. We broke a, I, I have some in, in my RV and we broke a dish or it, it, it almost seemed to explode. It, 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 it had dropped onto a countertop. It didn't seem to drop with any, um, with any force, but it almost exploded into this just just millions of tiny shards and and I was cut a couple of times on my leg as this thing fell off the uh, off off the countertop it was it was pretty horrifying how dangerous that was and I'm going to put a link to a uh, a consumer website on the show notes which lists additional reports of Corel uh, plates shattering in this way. The other thing is, I just don't think it looks professional. They're very thin. It feels like you're on a camping trip rather than in a vacation home. And if you're spending significant amount of money, I I want some decent stoneware. I want some decent plates that that look good. If I'm entertaining my family, if I'm cooking for my family, I don't want to feel that I'm camping. And Corel makes you feel like you're camping. And actually, I don't, I don't see any purpose in using it anyway. Yeah, I'm going to get off my, get off my soapbox. Um, I'm sure there will be differing opinions, but that is my opinion. I hate the stuff. Number five, and we're still on the topic of, um, of breaking things. Should I offer a refund if something breaks down and I'm not able to replace it in time for uh, a guest's arrival. This is a really great question because, uh, you know, we, we certainly have it in our area a lot with things like um, the watercraft that our owners supply, canoes and kayaks and paddle boats. Now, these things, they get a lot of use in the in the summer, in the high season, and things break. It may be an oar. It may be a seat. I, we had a paddle boat a few years ago and, and the, the guests tried to paddle it over the rapids, over the rocks, and the, um, the rudder broke, you know, the sort of paddly thing that, uh, that makes, makes the paddle boat go. And there was no way we could get that replaced. Now, the guests that were coming in had small children. They had said, and we always ask our guests, you know, what, what, what is it about this property that made you particularly choose this one over um, one of our competitors or another, another property on our register? And these guests had said it was the paddle boat. That was what made them choose that property over, over another so to tell them within a day that the paddle boat was not available um was a really was a really tough one and we were not able to get it fixed we were we were not able to get a replacement we in fact got a replacement boat but not until they were halfway through their um their week so we did make a refund. We made a goodwill gesture refund. I mean, our terms and conditions do say that we don't make refunds for, for things that break and that are totally out of our control and that we're not able to um, replace in time. So, so my answer really is it, it really is a discretionary thing. If it's something like that watercraft or, or a hot tub, something like that, something that people have chosen your property because of that. You've really got to think about how, how you're going to manage that. And if you can't replace or 
help them out with that in any other way than determine if a goodwill gesture of refunding them some of their um, their their rental fee is is appropriate. Of course, if you've moved heaven and earth to actually get a replacement and and it's a, it takes you a couple of days, but you do it, or, or you've moved heaven and earth to get something repaired, then there probably is less of a need to actually give them um, some monetary return. And, you know, one, once again, it's, it's entirely up to you. This is something that takes place between you as the owner and the guest, and you should be able to gauge what is, uh, what is right. My one concern is, though, is that we often talk about this in our in our property management company that we tend to reward those that shout the loudest and sometimes it's so much nicer <laughs> if a guest has a breakdown or something um you know, something is not working and they're that you can tell they're disappointed but they're not shouting about it those are the ones that I really want to help out the most the ones who say you know we really would have enjoyed it, but you know that's the way it is. These things happen. Those are the ones that I want to reward, not the ones who go immediately into "I want a refund because um, that's that that item was integral to the enjoyment of my vacation and and I deserve to have my money back." I, you know, that's a great one for more discussion because I think we've all had this issue uh, about people who complain the loudest often are the ones that we count how to, probably because we you know we, we are worried about the reviews we're going to get. So let, let's kick that one off as, as a point of discussion. Number six is, what appliances should I be including? What, what appliances should I be supplying and how much do I need to spend on them? I've got a couple of examples examples here. The first one is it's actually a large appliance, and I've I've mentioned this many times before. When I bought my first property, and I bought a new stove, and I did not get the self cleaning variety because the non self cleaning one was a hundred dollars cheaper. Boy, did I ever regret that! So, in terms of how much do I spend, you've got to think about buying or going for the quality that's going to last you the longest is going to cause you the least stress. But we're talking here about small appliances. And the other example I have is um, seeing one of those wonderful coffee makers, not the Keurig style, but the ones with the um, the built-in coffee grinder. And in, it was on offer in a Boxing Day sale. I thought, I've got to, got to get this for Osprey Cottage. It was down from two hundred and thirty odd dollars to ninety nine. I thought, oh, gosh, people are going to love it. I don't. I I think we had more stress out of that coffee maker than we did for anything else in a whole in the whole six months that it actually worked. And I'm, you know, I'm not even sure it ever did work because people just did not know how to use it. We got so many calls. We got so many emails. My caretaker would go in at the end of a rental and say, I don't know what they've been doing to that coffee maker, but there's grounds everywhere. And and she didn't know how to take it apart and clean it. So cutting a long story short, small appliances buy good quality, uncomplicated machinery. Obviously, you've got to have the basics, the coffee maker, a tea kettle. You know you have to have a tea kettle, a blender, 
a toaster, a four-slice toaster. Please get a four-slice toaster. I've got a two-slice toaster here in the RV, and that's just for Phil and I. It, it still annoys me because I want all my toast at once. And a blender. And a blender is really, really important. Now, the other things that, uh, that you could supply would be the um, a food mixer. A lot of people are asking for slow cookers. Uh, I've just started using in the Instapot pressure cooker. I've been going back to pressure cooking from my my childhood days of watching my mom do it. And I absolutely love it. And it's something, you know, that's something that's relatively easy to uh, to understand. I would avoid espresso, coffee makers, anything that has a thick manual. And the other things I would avoid are things that really take a long time to clean up, like waffle makers, um, toaster ovens and sandwich makers. They're really, really nice. But if your, your guests aren't going to take the time cleaning them like, uh, like you would. So that, th- those are probably other small appliances to avoid. So my answer to the question is simple, uncomplicated, but good quality that's going to last a good time. Number seven is how do I get my guests to recycle? And I hear that one a lot. And one of the, one of the big issues with recycling is that either your your guests don't do any recycling at home because they they don't have the wherewithal to do it. They don't they're not required to do it, or they do it in a different way. Every area is going to have different rules on recycling. So the only way to get people to separate out their garbage and recycle according to your own uh, local regulations is to make it very, very clear and make it easy for them to do. If you have to have transparent bags, then supply transparent bags because people aren't going to bring them. They're not going to buy them. If you have to separate out um, cardboards and glass and cans and other things, then supply them with different containers for for each of them. You know, you can just buy the recycling boxes and just label them and put them somewhere where it's really easy for them to separate out their garbage. And it, it just makes it less of a task for them. And remember, these, these guys are on vacation. If they don't recycle at home, you're asking them to do something which is is going to um, create some work for them. So make it as simple as possible. So laminate a recycle a guide to recycling. Put it on the fridge or put it on the inside of the uh, of the waste cupboard where where you keep the waste bin. Um, put it in the welcome book so they can they can see it in there. So it's 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 at a glance they can find it easily. And then once again, if you've got these. Um, indoor bins, then label them. And then also you need to tell them, you know, if if they have to put the recycling out on a certain day for a a curbside pickup, just make sure they know you. There's no harm in sending a text just to let them know that it's recycling day tomorrow or, or make a quick phone call so they don't miss it because, because that causes them stress as well. Uh, in other areas where perhaps there is no curbside pickup and somebody else is going to come and collect the garbage um, on an ongoing basis, just make sure they know when that's going to happen. 
Question number eight is how do I stop my guests exceeding my Wi-Fi limit? Now, for many of you, this this is not a question that you'll ever have to worry about because you have unlimited Wi-Fi and that's fabulous and I wish we had it too. But we don't. In many of our areas of cottage country, there are limits on the Wi-Fi and guests are getting anything between three and eight to ten gigs a week. And I know from my experience here on my RV travels that I can go through three gigs in a day, no problem. And I'm not streaming or downloading. I might be watching the occasional YouTube video or or just opening up the Weather Channel and the, the videos launch immediately. That's using bandwidth. So I know it's easy to exceed those those limits. So what we've done with uh, with our owners is ask them to leave an envelope for their guests and uh, sh- the document um, that tells them what the limits are, some indication of how much they're going to use. You know, how much juice they're going to use if they if they download a video, how much they're going to use if they download some music. You you can get that really easily on online. And then the, on the front of the envelope, it says, opening this envelope constitutes your acceptance of the Wi-Fi limits that are shown on your rental agreement. Should you exceed these limits, you will be invoiced for the overage. And then inside the envelope is the Wi-Fi password. This has worked amazingly well. We've had guests who have exceeded their their limits. They've their overages have been in the hundreds of dollars, but they completely accept that because we've told them up front, and we don't have any upset owners now because they know any overages are going to be paid for. What we have been, what we are doing this year is 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 trying to get our owners to uh, extend their coverage, go to the absolute max of their coverage, and see if we can get as near unlimited as as possible but that uh, that that's just something that's working for us so if you have limits maybe you that's something you could try here's a question i saw recently from a uh, uh, again on evelyn badia's the hosting journey uh, facebook group and a lady said i'm just starting out my vacation rental and i i can only afford one pillow per person will that be enough and there was an overwhelming response of no that is not enough you have to supply two pillows per person the risk of somebody being uncomfortable at night and giving a poor review is just too much to risk than um you know spending a little bit of money at the outset and and giving them the option of having two pillows this when we went to germany this this summer and and we went to uh, we we stayed in a really nice place, but it just had one relatively thin pillow for each of us. And I was so uncomfortable. I actually used I, I was using some sweaters as as extra pillow because I you know that's the way I sleep. I like to have two pillows, and and I like to be, have my head raised that little bit bit further. So yeah, how many pillows? Definitely two per person. Um, somebody offered that they they supply one hypoallergenic one and one feather pillow, so that people have the option. That that would actually mean that if somebody's got allergies, they're back down to one pillow. So I would I would go for the a couple of hypoallergenic pillows per person. That's my opinion. 
Number 10, and we're still on bedding, is should I use blankets, bedspreads, comforters or duvets? Oh, I'm not sure I could say that was a good question, but it's it's a question that a lot of people have. You know, how should I, I create this bed for my guests to use? My take on it, here's my take, because, you know, it's my show. That's what you're going to get. <laughs> my take on it is in the summer, I use light bedding. So there is always a bottom sheet, a top sheet. And this is North American. I, you know, we've just come back from Europe and the the places we stayed at in Europe did not have top sheets. And I find that really uncomfortable. I don't like that, but that, that's just the way Europeans are. I like a bottom sheet, a top sheet, and then a light blanket or a coverlet in summer. In the winter, even though our cottages are all nice and cosy warm with furnaces and fireplaces, I still like to provide a really cosy, comfy duvet, nice thick one that it's thick, but they're they're light. I buy them from Ikea. They just feel slight floaty. Somebody said in one of my reviews that they felt like they were sleeping under a cloud. And and that was probably one of the nicest things that uh, that I've I've ever heard because I knew I got it right. That's exactly what I wanted. Comforters. Um, I am totally off comforters because people don't wash comforters. And, you know, with, with duvets and covers, I take the duvet cover off after every single guest stay and have it laundered. When my guests stay, they are always sleeping under fully freshly laundered bedding. And OK, so the duvet itself isn't getting laundered. Um, but the covers are fresh every every time. And this is another great topic of discussion. I've seen this one on HomeAway and, and other forums. Once again, it has some quite diverse opinions. So if you've got an opinion, you know, come on, join in. Put it on to, into, the, uh, into the comments on the show notes. I'd love to hear it. Number 11, how do I get guests to read the house book? Oh, yes. <laughs> People don't read. They're on holiday. They, they really don't care. As, as long as they've got enough information to keep them going, they're not going to go in and read it for the fun of it. They're going to go in to find information that they need, like how, how do I work the washing machine or where are the light bulbs, that sort of thing. But they're not going to sit. Well, I do. I actually do sit down and read a welcome book wherever I go because that then I'm in the business and I want to, you know, I'm checking out what other people are doing. But in general, they don't. So my suggestion here is that if there's anything you really want your guests to, to read, it's important stuff. It goes right at the front of your welcome book and it's titled Important Information, Please Read. And then you also laminate that sheet and put it on the inside of, of your most used cupboard, which is probably one of the food cupboards. You'll never get guests to read the welcome book just because you want them to. If there's information that they really need to know, then you've got to make it very prominent for them. And number 12, what information should I leave my guests? That's entirely up to you. I think the more information, the better. When we were staying at um, Andy Reynolds' uh, Villa Carpe Diem in um, Cyprus this summer, he's got a couple of books. He's got 
one book which was all about the house and then there was another fabulous book which had maps and brochures and restaurant ideas for the whole of Cyprus. It was it was sort of our Bible for the week. You know, where shall we go today? Shall we go to Limassol? Shall we go to Nicosia? Shall we go to Paphos? And we could go to that book and there was a section for each of those places. And, and it was invaluable. So I love to leave huge amounts of information for my guests. I like to make it easy for them, like uh, like Andy and Nikki do, by separating it out into different folders. So you're not you're not hiking through multitudes of pages to find what you're looking for. So index it, make it easy, and leave a ton of information. Number thirteen. I'm going through these fairly rapidly now because I think I might be running out of time. Uh, number thirteen. Should I charge for pets? I don't. Why would I charge for pets? I've made the choice to have pets in my home. And my thought is that if I charge a pet cleaning fee, then guests aren't going to be that responsible or respectful about pet hair. And and in general, um, my guests are responsible and respectful because I don't charge a cleaning fee. I do say to them that I, I do ask that they run a vacuum around before they leave and pick up the pet hair. If you're happy to do it all yourself and you want to charge a, 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 an extra cleaning fee, then by all means. But uh, in general, I, I love my pet owning guests. They're my bread and butter. I'm not going to charge them any more for, for having that pet because I want them to bring that pet. So, that was my take. Gosh, there's a lot of um, a lot of topics here that could uh, that could drive some more discussion. So I'll, I'm going to be really interested to see these uh, the comments on the show notes after this is published. Number fourteen. Uh, what do I do if a neighbour complains? Interesting. If you ever get that phone call from a neighbour and they're complaining about noise or about um, uh, guest cars blocking their driveway. You've got to leap onto it quickly. You need that those good neighbour relations. It's so important. Um, I mean, the first thing is is to prevent the neighbour complaints in the first place. One of when we take on new properties, I will always suggest that my owners talk to their neighbours to start with, tell them what they're doing, tell them how they screen for their guests, and and give them a business card to say, you know, if you've got any issues, then please let us know. I mean, your neighbours can be your best friends if you actually hear from them to say, and they're saying, there's 20 people at your property and it only accommodates six. You know, these are the things you want to hear. Um, You'll probably get fewer neighbour complaints if you have those good relations with your neighbours from the start and you talk to them about what you're doing. But basically, if a neighbour complains, you've got to jump on it uh, at the very first sign of an issue. Reassure them that you're going to talk to the guests and that you're going to get the noise sorted out. um, And then afterwards, go back to the neighbour, tell them what you've done and and just keep that good relationship going. Once you've got a neighbour relationship that begins to break down, then every time you have a new guest group going in, they're going to be more sensitive to it. So it's it's to your benefit to you know, to keep them happy, to keep on the right side 
of the neighbours. Number 15, what do I do when I think guests have been smoking in my property? Well, it, it doesn't, it happens so rarely these days. And I'm not sure most of the time that it happens at all. I've had instances where I've, where I know that my guests are heavy smokers and I know that they haven't smoked indoors, but when I've been into the property, it reeks. And the reason is, is that smokers carry that smell wherever they go. And it's very, very pungent. It's on their bodies. It's in their hair. It's in their baggage. So even if they're smoking outside, when they come indoors and they lay down on the beds, that smell is going to be impregnated into the into the bedding. Unfortunate, but that's the way it is. You can't discriminate against smokers and say, just because you smoke, you cannot stay in my property. Uh, you can, of course, ask them to smoke outside and you can ask them to smoke 30 feet away from the building. But it's like with any other body odour, unfortunately, that smokers carry that with them. So, so before you go off and charge a guest because they have been smoking inside your property, you have to be absolutely 100% positive that they have been doing that because I think in 90% of the cases, they don't. And they don't even know because they live with that odour all the time. They wouldn't even know that they're leaving it behind and that people who don't smoke are going to find it um, offensive. So what do you do if some if you suspect someone's been smoking in the property? Ask them by all means, but only if it's going to take you a if, if, if there's going to be an effort to get rid of the smell. Think about why you're why you're approaching them in the first place. You know, is it easy just to say, OK, I'm not going to have these guests back again or let them know that you, you believe that they may have been smoking in the property and and because of that, then, you know, you, you won't be welcoming them back. But don't jump on them before you are absolutely 100 percent sure that that's what they've been doing. Number 16 is an interesting one. And I, I heard this recently from an owner. How do I stop my guests stealing the linens from my beds? And, and I was a bit aghast. You know, this is one of our owners in our, in our um, property management program. And I said, what sort of linens have been going? She said, well, you know, there's some, sometimes there's pillowcases go and then, then there was a sheet that went. We, we did get in touch with the guests and we asked the question, you know, in a very polite way. Did you pack one of the sheets by mistake? Did you pack the pillowcases? And both times they came back incredibly contrite, just saying, my son was using the spare, uh, one, of, one of the rooms. He thought we'd brought our own sheets. So when I told him to strip off the beds, he just put everything in the car. The, these things do happen. When people are packing up, um, it's often the primary guest, the one who's who's booked the property, paid for it. It's the mum. She's the one who knows whether they brought their own bedding or not. You know, the kids arrive, they haven't got a clue who's made the beds and they really don't care. And if mum tells them to strip the beds off, they could just as easily, easily just throw the sheets or a pillowcase into their, into their suitcase before they leave, thinking that, well, I'll just pack it like this. Maybe on occasion, somebody walks off 
with with a towel or two and i know that's happened over time in in my properties i know we've we've lost a lot of towels um it's just part of the part of doing business if i lost an entire um collection in of of linens then i'd be more concerned but you know in general people just don't do that because they know that they're the ones that have just left and and it's it's entirely likely that somebody's going to know that they were the ones who who actually took them so in general i don't think people do this deliberately i'm thinking about what i've been talking about here um i'm a very trusting person it does sound like i'm a trusting person and i am um it's it's an attitude that has never failed me i i generally trust my guests 100% to come have a great time, not steal anything, not smoke in my house, not let the dogs pee in the corners, not damage anything and, and hide it. And, you know, and for 20 years, that attitude has really done me well and and served me well. So I guess I'm just sharing that one with you because as I've been talking, I've realized that it, it comes across that, you know, I I, I really do trust my guest. Number 17, what sort of guest gifts do I leave? And that's always nice to hear because it's, you know, it, it makes me feel happy that, that owners are thinking about their guests and, and the type of welcoming gift that they leave, to, leave for them. My answer is always very simple. Do not leave a supermarket bottle of wine or just a bunch of snacks that anybody could pick up in a local supermarket. I think I touched on this in a in a recent podcast. Leave something local. Leave something they wouldn't normally get. For for us, it's it's maple syrup. I remember when we went to Hawaii, it was fresh pineapples um, and mangoes that had been picked locally. This is what people want, and and you know it helps out your local your local suppliers as well. If you leave something that's grown and harvested locally for your guests and you leave a card showing where these things come from then your guests are going to perhaps go to that place and buy more so yeah just to you know, short answer be unique think about what you're leaving and make sure if you're going to leave something that it's special and that it means something because otherwise you know just buying a bottle of wine in the supermarket that anybody could buy I, I I just don't see the point in that. Number 18, how do I stop guests arriving early? Oh, this is a perennial one, isn't it? And I know I've been just as guilty as as anybody else, you know, if if I'm getting if I've got off an aeroplane and and I've got a 4 o'clock check-in time, but my flight gets in at half past 1 and it only takes me an hour to drive, so I'm there for half past 2. Um I'm probably going to go to the door and see if it's available for me. So this is a, a, a difficult one to, to answer. Um, one way of doing it is to contact your guests the couple of days before they, they arrive, remind them what the check-in time is. Now, if you think that your, your caretaker or cleaner is going to be finished before that check-in time and you know your guests are on an earlier flight, and you can always find this out. You can always find out if people are flying in, what flight they're coming in on. And maybe make a special effort to to have it prepared half an hour earlier. You That, that goes a, such a long way to make that first impression so good. If people are traveling from from 
a more local area, like they come up in Ontario from uh, from Toronto. They've got a two-hour drive, perhaps. Then we will tell our guests that um, that they cannot arrive before the check-in time. They will not. Um, they will not find the place is unlocked for them until that time. This is to ensure that our properties are clean and ready for them because sometimes our caretakers are doing a couple of properties uh, on the same day and we don't know which one is going to be ready the first. There are times when we hear from an owner that says, you know, the property's all ready and then we do get in touch with guests and let them know if you're on, if, if you've haven't left yet you can leave early or if you're on your way if you're st- if you stopped in a local town then you know the property's ready you can go straight there but how do you stop your guests arriving early do you know you're never you're never going to do that you've got to think about ways of um, of circumventing their disappointment if they do arrive early and it's not ready for them and i know that it's it it, it is a it is a challenge when a group of guests arrive and the caretakers are still in there cleaning and these guests want to walk in and start dumping their luggage. So you need to think about strategies for handling that. Number 19 is how do I encourage my guests to book again? And we know that repeat guests are the holy grail of of our business. And I know that from Osprey Cottage, we had we had before we sold it, we had guests that were coming back on their ninth year. And and I think 90% of our summer guests were there on on their at least their second, if not their third, fourth or fifth visits. Uh, and it it was such it was so much easier for an entire summer to know that they were just all repeat guests. So how do you make that happen? The experience has got to be amazing for them to make them want to come back. And it's it's a shame sometimes to 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 see reviews where a guest says that they've been to a property every year over the course of several years and then to say that they're not going back again because it, it, it appears it's not being as well maintained as it used to be and that things are not being replaced when they get broken. So you've, you're you almost holding yourself to a higher standard when you have repeat guests because you've got to make sure that every year they're getting the same or better experience than the previous year and they're not seeing the place go into decline at all. So one way of encouraging guests to come back is to always get in touch with them after they leave and ask them how they enjoyed it and give them the opportunity to book again for the future. You might want to offer them a small reduction. If you raise your rates, you might want to let them know that if they want to book immediately, they can have the the current rates, the rates for the current year. So you just have to think of creative ways to to bring these guests back. Now, many guests won't go back to the same place over and over again. They want something different every year and you're never going to make them repeat guests. But there are guest types who do like to make the one place their place for year after year after year vacations. And the way to capture those is to make sure that yours is the best. And that's as easy as I can make it. And last but not least, question 20. And this really is a follow on for the previous one. How can I make the experience better for my guests? Well, I'm so glad people are asking that question. And making the experience better means 
being better than your competition. It means having the better beds, the higher quality linens, more amenities, having unlimited internet instead of restricted bandwidth, if you possibly can, having full-on um, satellite channels rather than restrictions. It's, it's simple things like that. You know, if, if a guest group comes to a property, they know it's got satellite TV, they're all planning on watching the game and then find that, the sport, that there are no sports channels, that's an immediate disappointment because they've made an assumption that these things are going to be in place. So just going that extra mile, and in fact, it's not really an extra mile, is it? It's just going that little bit extra to make sure that you have everything in place to make their vacation the most magical one they've ever had. And and you're going to have the most satisfied guests. So that was a quick tour of the these 20 questions. I'm not saying these 20 questions are the most asked or or the the most pressing questions that owners have. They are simply the ones that came across my radar over the last couple of weeks when I've been doing the um the new action plan. So I hope they've been helpful. I would love to hear your comments and any suggestions that you have. Any arguments you have against the answers I gave will be quite welcome. And and just go over to the show notes at cottageblogger.com forward slash VRS 153 and, and let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. So I'm totally amazed I got this done in my allotted hour. Uh, I thought it was going to take a, a lot longer than that. And you know, each one of those questions could almost be an episode in itself. And uh, it could be a blog post in itself. I'm going to really look closely at the uh, comments that you make on the show notes. And, uh, and we may come back and revisit some of them. So that's me signing off from my road trip for 2016. It's been an absolute pleasure to sit here in the RV in front of my microphone and uh, and record these episodes. Next week I'll be uh, back in the office and uh, I'm starting up with a lot more interviews. I've got some great people lined up to uh, to interview, lots of new topics and uh, and I shall look forward to being with you again very very soon. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business.